the Lord showed me that there's a fire in the camp. There's a fire in the camp. In many ways, this is a good fire, and in other ways, it's a real bad fire. It's a fire that is going to demonstrate his wrath, but on the flip side, it's a fire that's, that's merciful. That without that fire, we would, we would stay the same, and we wouldn't be able to go where God wants us to go. This is a refining fire. It's the hammer, the fire, the hammer, the fire. This is the silversmith's fire that burns away the dross in our lives, that prepares us for where we're supposed to go. This church has a call from God to be unique in and of, it to, in and of itself. Yes, it's part of another body, and it's part of a lot of other churches all over the world, but Rock City is unique to Rock City. God's building a family. He's doing something very special here. And it's very, very important that our hearts are pure before him if we're going to go where God wants us to go. And so I want to start off by reading to you Numbers chapter 11. Now, this is a story that many of you may have not heard or you've read before, but I'm going to pull some truths out of it. The Israelites were a year and six days out of Egypt. Three days to Mount Sinai, a year at Mount Sinai, three days out from Mount Sinai. They had already complained six times. Major complaints. Complaints against God's leader, complaints against God, complaints against food, water, provision. Just nothing but complaints. Numbers 11 verse 1, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some on the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of that place uh, Taborah, which actually means burning, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish and how great it was in captivity. We remember our slavery was just so awesome. We had garlic and onions and leeks and man, the food was so incredible, which is a deceptive lie. Verse six, but now our whole being is dried up. And there's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like bdellium. The people would gather it. I'll summarize the next few verses. They would gather it. They'd cook it with oil. It was fresh flaky pastry that tasted like honey and coriander seed. It had kind of a transparent pearlish white look to it. And it was actually really incredible and nutritious for them. And that manna would fall on the dew night after night after night, which they had already complained that they were getting tired of the manna. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses was also displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? that you've laid the burden of all these people on me. Why am I the one that has to be afflicted? I didn't birth these people. 
why am I the one that has this responsibility to deal with all their issues? Why do I have to, I'm not the one that, that's signed up for this job. Why are you putting this weight on me? Constantly complaining and bickering, never satisfied, always divided. Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom? Verse 12, as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land. You're the one that made the promise. It's your fault, God. And how in the world, I'll paraphrase it for you, verse 13, how am I going to get the meat to feed over 2 million people? This is insane. There's no way I'm going to be able to provide for them what they want, and yet they're just bitter, bitter in their soul because they want to go back. They weep all over me. All the time, problems and tears and issues. dripping mascara and makeup on my shoulder when women are crying and I'm giving them a hug, weeping all over me. I can't tell you how many shirts I go home with with mascara and makeup on the side. Good thing my wife knows I'm not cheating on her. <laughs> Verse 14, this is too much. This is way too much. This is way too much of a burden. Now, I'm not just talking about the responsibility that I carry as a leader or pastor as Moses was. Anybody that signs up to be in the kingdom of God has a responsibility. You can't sign up and be a passive, nice Christian. You don't get to just focus on us four no more and build your little nice house in the suburbs and not go and carry the weight and the responsibility of the kingdom of God. Anybody that enlists will engage into warfare and the burden will be too heavy for you. You will feel afflicted at times. You will feel like it's too much. You will want to give up. In fact, Moses came to the point in verse 15. He's like, look, why are you treating me this way? He said, this, this is insanity. If it's going to be like this, just kill me now. Just take me out, God. This is way too hard for me. There's no way that I can do this. If I found any favor in your sight, deliver me from the misery. Verse 16, so the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle and meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I'll come down and talk with you there. I'll take the spirit that's on you and I'll put the same spirit on them and they'll bear the burden of these people with you that you would not have to bear it alone. God doesn't want you to bear it alone. Verse 18, then you'll say to the people, consecrate yourselves because you're going to eat meat. And boy, are you ever going to eat meat. You're going to eat meat not one day, two days, five days, ten days. In fact, you're going to have so much meat coming out. It's going to come out of your nose and your ears. And then, the Lord, and then Moses says, how? There's no way. Two million people. Verse 23, the Lord said to Moses, has the arm of the Lord been shortened? Now you're going to see whether I'm going to do what will happen to you or not. The arm of the Lord's not too short to do the miraculous, ever. In first service worship, I was crying out to the Lord, Lord, I know, I know, God, your arm is not too short. 
In fact, the Bible says all day long, he stretches out his arm. All day long, he thinks about you more than the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky. That's how close he is. His arm's not too short. He can do the miraculous when you need him the most. Verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and he took the spirit that was on him and he put it on the elders, the 70 elders. And when the spirit came on, up, came on him, they prophesied, which actually means to be completely rocked with an encounter. It's an extravagant touch of God that literally melts your face off and rocks your world. Yes, it can mean to speak the things of God, but it means to be so overwhelmed and so overcome that I'm completely undone and wrecked by the power of God. I'll just paraphrase the rest of it because we're going to come back to it. There were two men on the outskirts of the camp that didn't go with the 70. Their names were Eldad and Medad, for whom the Lord loves Eldad and the one who loves with compassion Medad. Those two people decided for whatever reason, we don't know why I'm not going with the other 70. They stayed back at the camp and they prophesied. And then those that had just been touched in rock, they start complaining that how come they who didn't come with us got to get touched? You got to forbid them to stop. And then Moses says, why do you have so many issues, especially with what God's doing and with what he's doing with me? He says, he says, I wish everybody was like that because if everybody was getting touched this way, we wouldn't have any problems. And that's the core root of religion. When you allow everything to be ruled by your intellect instead of the power of God, touching you in your mind and your heart and ruining, just ruining your world and flipping you upside down, you'll always lean back onto your own intellect. So here's the message. The fastest way to arouse the anger of God is to murmur and complain. And especially when you bring your children into your complaining. It's almost impossible to not complain and it not affect your children. Even if you're complaining in your heart, inevitably it overflows to your kids. At least for the sake of your kids, stop complaining. The Bible says that if we would hear and obey the voice of the Lord, we'd enter into the promised land. But if we rebel the way that they did, we won't ever step into the promise that God has for us. And so when you start questioning the goodness of God, because complaining is really questioning the goodness of God. Complaining is really being dissatisfied with what God's given you because you feel like you don't have enough. Complaining is really a lack of contentment. Complaining is really a lack of not being satisfied. Complaining is really, I need something more than what I have right now. So God, you're not good enough to give me everything that I want or I think I need. Now, a big key to this complaining was the mixed multitude. Now, the mixed multitude were people that came from other foreign nations that went out of Egypt with Israel. And these people had not fully seen and understood the promise and the inheritance and the mercies of God on their life. They started complaining and that complaining got into the hearts of the Israelites what I want you to know is there'll always be a mixed multitude around. There's mixed multitudes everywhere. Mixed multitudes will walk into this church with church hurts, crazy paths, false, weird doctrines, all kinds of stuff. And if they're not coming here, we're not doing something right. They're supposed to come here. They're supposed to find normal in a family 
that's healthy and strong and united. They're supposed to come here and find a place where they can find healing and comfort. But the challenge is, is that if we don't help them to get healthy or we listen to their complaints, those complaints will then get into our own heart. The worst thing is not so much the mixed multitude around us. It's when the mixed multitude mindsets get inside your heart. And then we start doubting and questioning the goodness of God. Because what they were really saying was, take me back to my lies. Take me back, because I had it so much better. Pleasure, delight, joy, fun, doing whatever I wanted to do. I didn't have to carry the weights and the burdens of leadership, responsibility, or living upright and denying myself. Because the big struggle here is that their souls were being dried up in front of them. But that's the plan. God kills everything in your soul that's not of him. And in the meantime, there's beautiful, wonderful manna in front of you. But then we get tired of it. And when we don't have the encounters and the experiences, what happens is everything leads to the intellect and then we reject it. And then we want to go back to the way it used to be, even though it was miserable and terrible and death there. It's the romantic fantasy of our past. And this mixed multitude's everywhere. Let me tell you the number one spot mixed multitude's at. They should be here. Bring them on. The atheists, the Satanists, the, the worst of the worst should be able to walk in this house and feel safe. Lord, bring the worst of the worst. If you want a pretty nice church, this isn't it. If you want an aggressive on fire church that's rocking and bringing salvation to this community of the most hurting and broken outcasts, this is your house. If you want a nice church, you won't enjoy it here. Because I like living on the edge. I like the power of God. I like signs and wonders and miracles and busting up demonic forces. I love the presence of God. I love prophecy. I love the supernatural. I love that, the kind of worship we had today. It's how I'm wired. And that's the DNA of this church. It's not going to change. There's a lot of reasons why there's a lot of different churches. Find the, where God's called you to be and be there. The problem is when you start complaining and start, and I'll give you plenty of issues to complain about. How's that? How about if God will give us all issues to complain about? And the mixed multitude is basically the world system coming into our heart. The mindset of the world system is that God says, you can't even be friends with the world. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God, which is so extreme. Because, But you have to understand what friendship with the world means. It doesn't mean you don't have some worldly friends because you, you have to influence them. But friendship with the world means that spirit of this age that denies the headship and lordship of Christ and the power of God and says, it don't take all that. You don't need signs and wonders and prophecies and miracles and power, long worship and praying in tongues and casting out demons. It don't take all that. That's the world system coming into the church to dumb you down so you don't move in the power of God. And then what happens is you start complaining because everything is mental and intellectual. The fastest way to get mixed multitude in your heart is to focus your time and attention on the world and to take your eyes off the manna. Because Jesus himself said he was the bread of life. He was the bread that came down in the wilderness. You know what manna means? It means what is it? Jesus is the what is it? Let's say that. Jesus, Jesus. is the what is it? Which means he is, I am who I said I am. Which means he's the answer to everything. So every question you have, every struggle you have, every answer you need, he's the what is it? 
He's the source. He's the source of peace. He's the source of life. He's the source of your struggles. He's the source for your kids. He's the source of all things. He's the what is it? So you must eat every day of the what is it? Give us this day our what is it every day. But what happened was the Israelites began to despise it. And so God would come and burn up on the outskirts of the camp and many of the mixed multitude would get burned up. And so the mixed multitude and the Israelites would cry out to Moses, please cry out to God for the fire to stop. And so Moses would cry out to the Lord in an act of intercession. Now the question is, what would so many of us have done? Because in my natural flesh, I want to say, burn them up, Lord, burn them up. They've seen that they just marched through the Red Sea. You've seen water, bitter waters turn into healing waters. You followed a cloud by day and a fire by night. And you're still complaining? Burn them, God, burn them. Make them pay. Okay. (laughs) So you're like, yeah, yeah, get them, God. But not Moses. Moses actually would cry out on their behalf, even though they didn't deserve it. Because so many people deserve something that they don't get. In fact, all of us deserve something that we don't get. None of us here deserve the goodness of God. Love covers a multitude of sins. And as much as I hate the complaining and the division, I've learned that there'll always be that somehow, some way. But for those of us that are in the family of God and that are part of this house, we must come out of that or we'll never get unified to go where we're going to go because the world's going to come in here with all their issues, but we must be the contrast. We've got judgment has to start here. If judgment doesn't start in this house, then we will fall short for what God's going to have. If we don't get out this dishonesty and this trespassing thing and this complaining thing, then we'll never be able to sustain what's coming. We'll fracture under the weight of it because when the mixed multitude walks in, they're going to bring complaining and issues and the desires to go back to slavery. Moses would step in the gap. That's why Jesus himself said, when your enemy's hungry, feed them. Those who are slandering you, bless them. Those that are spitefully using you, pray for them. That's the hardest thing to do when people are doing idiotic things against you. We want to take vengeance into our own hands. But the Lord says, look, my vengeance is way better than your vengeance. Why don't you trust me and stop fighting them the way that they're fighting? If you'll bless love instead of curse and pay them back, I'll actually fight on your behalf. That's a lordship issue. How much do you trust God? How big is God? This is either God's church or it's not. You can try to take matters into your own hands and so could I, or we can trust God and let God have his way. Or I can keep trying to steady the ark so that y'all don't mess up the presence of God. In the meantime, I die. We stop trying to make something happen and we trust God and realize that the Lord is the king. He can do what only he can do. And we have to let him do it. So Moses would stand in the gap and cry out. You have to realize, again, this was the seventh out of 14 times that people would complain against 
Moses and against the Lord. And they would literally call the manna, the bread of God, which is a picture of Jesus worthless. They would call his bread worthless. Numbers chapter 21, verse five. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. See, the thing is, is if we don't understand how much better that what God has to offer us is, we'll want to go back to what we used to have. But that takes a price. It takes testing, refinement, and staying the course no matter what is coming your way. And so they literally began to despise the worthless bread. Now, what's your soul? It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's what brings you pleasure and satisfaction. So it makes me feel good. But many days, many days, months and seasons, I eat of the bread. I spend time with the Lord and I feel nothing, no encounters, no movements. But every day, manna, manna, manna. And it's building something in me, but it's not instant gratification. My soul wants instant gratification. My soul wants to feel good right now. My soul doesn't want to feel any pain, struggles, burdens, hardships, responsibilities. I just want to check out sometimes and check into the num num hotel. Make it easy. Make me feel good. Feel good, feel good, feel good. But there's something about a man or a woman that pays the price and stays the time and doesn't call the bread worthless, but actually eats of the bread of life every day and lets your soul die. Let your soul dry up. That's what they were saying. Our soul's drying up with this bread, but that's the point is that God removes those old pleasures and those old addictions and those old desires and replaces it with something else. But until one dies and dries up, you're still going to keep longing for the old. And even then, God doesn't leave you alone. He still gives you something better. So you have two choices in front of your face. You have manna, which I'm going to tell you about more in a minute, and you have the lies of your past, which seemed good, felt good, or the pleasures of this world. And I have had my fair share of the pleasure. Do I need to tell my story again? I think you all understand. I came straight out of full scale, full on pleasures of the world. Mushrooms, acid, cocaine, women, girls, parties, drugs, 80s music, ladies nights, ripping people off, all of it. I've full on tasted the pleasures of the world. And now I am tasting something better. But until you taste it, you won't see it. I want you to see verse four. Numbers 11, verse four, the people yielded, stop yielding to intense cravings. You know what intense cravings are? Intense cravings are insane lusts inside of our heart. They lusted intensely to go back to where they came from. You know, anybody that I help recover from a serious sex or porn addiction, the first season of coming right out of an addiction, drugs too, let's just throw in any addiction really, is that the synaptic connections in your brain have been rewired for that pleasure, the dopamine hit and the dopamine high that you get from porn, sex, and drugs. My brain is so wired for that, that my body is so intensely craving it. It's literally like you can't breathe. Your breath is being sucked out of you because your flesh is screaming to go back to the past. That is the type of lust that they were facing. They lusted intensely, 
But listen, if you stay the course, God rewires your brain. And now you get new synaptic connections, but you have to have something better than what you had before. And I can assure you that God's high, like coming from the most high, is better than any other high. I can assure you. You all know my story. I used to think that I could shoot lightning bolts out of my fingertips while I was tripping on acid at a Grateful Dead concert. You all can laugh. That's funny. It's really funny. I mean, genuinely. And it was some good acid. And I had a lot of fun. Let's just tell you. But it's, it was a false illusion of the real thing. Because when the fire of God fills your hands and you lay hands on somebody and their soul breaks open and they get healed and delivered and set free and now multiple generations are transformed to live right, you'll never want to go back to the asset. It's funny that they lusted intensely to go back to their lie, to go back to their slavery. We had it so much better. It's like, being in a confinement camp, at least you had potato soup every day. No, it doesn't work like that. The, the prison of slavery was death and beating and scourging and hard, hard labor every day. That was a deceptive lie. It was there, but they never had it. That's what happens when you vicariously live on social media with the celebrities and the fame and the wealth of the world is that you really are want what they have, but you'll never get it. Or we aspire to get something more than what we don't have. And that's what was happening with the meat because the real issue with the quail meat wasn't that they wanted meat. It's that they despised the worthless bread because God says, look, I'll give you meat. You'll get more than you even want. It'll come out of your nose and nostrils and it will make you sick. You don't want the things of the world. You don't want what the world has to offer. You want the kingdom of God and what it has to offer. You will never, ever, ever experience the rest and peace and joy and satisfaction that comes from eating of Christ, the manna, the bread that came down from heaven, ever. But we live with that thing inside of our hearts. We're not fully satisfied with where God has us. We're not fully satisfied with what he provides every day. So we live discontent. And then in our hearts, we have a mixture of complaining. And then we complain against each other. Verse six, they were craving the lies of their past. And again, I'm going to show you this. Our whole being is being dried up. There's nothing. Look, look at the contrast. My whole being's being dried up. And in the meantime, right before my eyes is Jesus. I see you. He's right in front of you. But there's always the contrast and there's always the choice. Behold, he lays before you life and death. And Jesus is here to help you. And every day you can eat of his bread. And in the meantime, all those old desires and lusts to go back to your slavery and to go back to your past have to dry up. All the desires for all the things that we used to do and the things of this world must dry up inside of us. But the only way to dry it up is to eat the manna. You can't do this in your own strength. And this is what will happen. Shortly after I gave my life to the Lord and 
got out of prison. I went back. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have Rock City. I didn't have any Christian friends. All I had was all my old friends and my old life. And so for a while, I thought that I could do both. And I remember going down to the Disco Inferno in Miami Beach. I can still jam out some good disco, but, you know, I went down to Miami Beach where I always hung out, all my old friends. I walked into the, to the club, everybody was dancing. And when I walked in, nothing looked or felt the same to me. Everything had shifted in my heart and my eyes had to see the, tra- the, the change. And when I looked around, I said, there's so much darkness in here. They don't know what I know. I don't fit here anymore. This just doesn't fit for me. Nobody told me, no preacher, nothing. It just changed. I just knew this wasn't my, who I am anymore. And I had to cut it out and let it go. You remembered, I got high for a year and prayed in tongues. Born again. And in my early on, I actually thought that it was okay. But then God dealt with me. And one day he finally said, you're done. I said, Lord, I'm done. I'd gotten high some days and I'm on the table shouting. And the next time I'm under the table hiding. Because of what it was doing to me and what God was doing to me. And eventually God said, it's out. And then it finally left. This is why we have to be patient with each other in the process. This is why we have to love people through their process. This is why when you don't like what they're doing and you don't understand that you learn to cover them like Moses did, when really I'd like you to get burned up. When I used to say, oh, you're going to keep smoking cigarettes as a Christian? Lord, Lord, please just make them sick. Just make them sick, God. Just make them sick. Some of you are laughing because you used to pray that way. Drive by cheetahs. Burn it down, God. Burn it down. Burn it down. And now I pray for the strippers to just get saved or the owner of the club. That'd be even better. This is lies of your past with lusting intensely that only the manna could change and shift you out of so that you wouldn't go back. But you can't despise the worthless bread and it's not instant gratification. It's not microwave manna. It's not microwave manna. It's a price to be paid. It's a death to be laid. It's a burial of your craving. You must bury these cravings and let your soul dry up. I understand. It's tough. Okay, you'll survive. No one's resisted sin unto bloodshed like Jesus has. And you have Jesus before you. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. So there's a soul satisfaction. Everybody say soul satisfaction. Soul satisfaction. That only comes. This isn't Rodney Dangerfield. I can't get no satisfaction. This isn't Rolling Stones. You can get no respect. Thank you. You're going to get. It's been a while since I remembered that one. The manna of God satisfies you. And it's because what you have to understand is you come to, do you still eat in the natural and are thirsty? Yes, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about your soul being satisfied. And what the Israelites didn't understand is God was drying up their soul by design. 
And that's what it feels like. It feels like you die to everything, your identity, your past, everything that you ever were. It's a death. I had a, you know what my nickname was, right? It was Dave TV, all Dave, all night. You guys don't remember that? I'm just a gigolo, and everywhere I go, that's where that came from. Anyway, some of y'all know, but Dave TV's dead. Do you understand? That guy's dead. My soul had to dry up, and I had to eat new bread. You have to eat new bread. You, you have to eat bread that satisfies to bring you to a place of complete satisfaction. And there's days and weeks and seasons where it's like, Lord, where are you? Lord, I don't feel a thing. God, I'm like struggling. I don't feel you. I don't see you. And he says, stay the course, keep eating because it's like watering a wilted plant. It's like bringing fertilizer to a, to a tree that's dying. It's not instant, but in time, it comes back to life. It gets into the root systems of your heart. John 4, 48 through 51. I'm the bread of life, Jesus said. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they're dead. I understand that we're in the wilderness, but stop despising the bread. He said, the bread that came down from heaven, verse 50 that's the one you may eat of and not die. I'm the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anybody eats of this bread, it'll live forever. And the bread that I'll give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So Jesus literally gave himself. And that's the bread that they were eating, but they despised it and didn't realize it. But what it would have done for them, instead they complained and an entire generation didn't even make it to the promised land. Every day we face the lies of our past or the promise of your future every day. We all face those two things, the lies of our past or the promise of our future. And every day, in contrast, we have the manna right in front of us. Every day. Every day. The same bread that brings the same promises while your soul's being dried up and your past is dying and you don't have the choice to go back to where you came from. I don't have the choice. I could never go back now. I would never trade my life for that life. Not, I don't care how hard it is. And it's also a test. Let's say this. Say everything's a test. Exodus 20, verse 21. And Moses said to the people, don't fear. This is at Mount Sinai. Don't fear. God has come to test you. That is fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off. But Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So here's your choice, fear him or complain against him. Fear him or complain against him. God doesn't want you to live in sin anymore. Sin is simply missing the excellence of who he is and what he's called you to do. God's got a more excellent way. It's living in his excellence. But the question is, will you be the one who draws near to the cloud like Moses or will you be the one that stands afar off? Let me tell you who I'm gonna be and what this church is gonna be. We're going into the cloud. Now, you need to understand there'll always be people that say that want to stand afar off and they'll come here. 
If we don't show them the mountain and go in on our, for ourselves, we won't be able to pioneer and lead the way for others. You have to boldly go where no man has gone before, especially for your family. I've made the decision to live every day lighting the candlestick with the fire of God and seeking the praying in tongues a lot. Praying in tongues as much as I can, listening to worship consistently all the time, minimizing my eyesight to the mixed multitude of the world so that it doesn't affect my own heart. Every day to light the incense and to allow myself to be crushed while God makes me, breaks me, and burns or crushes me for oil. Every day is the table of showbread. This is all in the inner court. Many of you may not know about it, and we'll teach more about it in time, but study it for yourself. Every day, if you live in that place, then you'll be like Abijah, the second king of Judah after the split of Israel, that when an army had him hemmed in on both sides, he said, listen, we're the ones that light the fire, light the incense and make the bread every day before the Lord. Thus, the Lord is on our side and God would set up an ambush against them. You must learn to live in the inner court, but you come there from the outer court. We were all once the mixed multitude. The faster you can realize that, the better, but we got to get the mixed multitude out of you. Get you to be a son and daughter in the kingdom of God. So there'll always be people that don't want to go up the mountain. But guess where I'm going? And guess where our worship team's going? And guess where our work, this church is going into the cloud? And it may be terrifying. Thunder, lightning, thick black smoke. It's terrifying in many ways. But it's supernatural and it's wonder. I will always live on the edge in this house. I was created for the fire and the cloud. And so were you. Now, verse seven through nine described the manna. I just want to say a few things about the manna. The manna had everything that they need, everything. If you actually study coriander, it's a culinary rich antioxidant herb. Study it on your own. Helps lower blood pressure, blood sugar, fights infections, promotes your heart, brain, skin, and digestive health. God was giving them the best multi-mineral and vitamin bread every day. And that's the way it is with the Lord. When you eat from the things of God every day and completely move away from your past, God restores your life. He restores your innocence. He restores your health. He restores your purity. He restores your heart. He changes you to become more like him over time. But if you keep letting the mixed multitude come in, you'll still keep going back to your past and find complaining in your heart. And God will not be pleased with that. When it says that Moses was displeased with the complaining, this word displeased in the Hebrew means I literally feel injured. I'm so sad. I'm so angry. And I'm going to say to you, beloved, Rock City Church and everybody watching online, you must stop complaining and being divided. I don't understand why God does what he does with some people in other churches, but we're going to stay in the lane of the unique thumbprint and fingerprint of Rock City Church and be who God's called us to be. But you must be a united front and be a family. We won't always agree with what everybody does. And I think many, many times y'all do really crazy things that I would never do, but love covers a multitude 
multitude of sins. The key is to stop being divided against each other, but to love each other really, really well in the midst of it. And that doesn't mean we won't have disagreements and have some conflict. I'm not scared of conflict. I can handle conflict. I like resolving conflict. My heart is reconciliation. I have great conflict resolution skills. I don't have this like snowflake Christian mentality. Neither should you. Somebody's going to have an issue. I recently caught wind of a, a, a leader in another church that says, I can't partner with Rock City because they believe that women can be pastors. I'm like, yeah, I do. Bye-bye. I'm not going to argue over that. I love you. I care about you. I read it different. I don't take the scriptures literal that a woman cannot preach or speak in the church and they need to be silent. I take it contextual of the, of the time of the day because I have too many other scriptures that outweigh that. Just namely Deborah leading a whole nation. And the women said, amen. Listen, your complaining displeases God when it's against one another. But when you complain directly one-on-one with God, he can handle it. Take your complaints to God. Let's take a look at that. Numbers 11, 11 through 15. So here's what Moses said. I like to paraphrase this. So Moses said to the Lord, Numbers 11, verse 11, I, why are you afflicting me? I'm, I'm, I really can make this person. Why in the world do I have to hand? I am so afflicted by your people. This is like painful. It's like a thorn. You're, it's like they're all a thorn in my side. Why are you afflicting me, God? If, do I have, is there any favor on my life? It seems like you've got no favor because you're putting this burden on me. This is nothing but a burden. Why am I having to carry the burden of all these broken, messy, jacked up people? Did I conceive them? Did I beget them? That you would say to me, carry them as a guardian carry? Why do I have to push the stroller? Why do I have to clean the diapers? Why do I have to clean up all the mess? I didn't ask for this job. And they want meat. How am I going to give them meat? You're the one that made the promise. It's your fault. Verse 14, I can't bear bear this alone. This burden is too much for me. This is too much. This is too much. And if you're going to treat me like this, just take me home. Swipe me out. Just kill me now. I'd rather die than deal with these people. This is a real thing. And anybody that's called to leadership in the kingdom, which is everybody, once you enlist into the kingdom, you must wage a good warfare. You're never, ever, 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 ever called to just hide out and not serve and care and give and love and build. And you're going to deal with the mixed multitude and messy, broken people, and you're going to feel afflicted, and you're going to feel like the burden's too much, and you're going to want to quit and give up. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples in the garden? He said, uh, on, when he was praying in the garden, he said, pray that you don't enter into temptation. What was the temptation? Fall asleep, depression. It's too much for me. I, I can't handle the sorrow. It's too much sorrow.
I'll paraphrase the rest of the story for you because I think it's so fascinating how God responded. Here's what God didn't say. What's the matter with you, Moses? Why, why in the world are you complaining now? It, yeah, you're not good enough. You're never measuring up to my standards. You're a failure. How could you ever let this make you feel that way? That's not what God said. So why do you say that to yourself? Instead, he said, I got an idea. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I love this story. He says, I got a really good idea. He didn't even address Moses' complaint. He had a better answer. God can handle your complaint, but you take it to him. Because the minute you start saying it to other people, or you let your children hear, or you bring division to God's house, is the minute that the wrath of God's coming, and it ain't going to be pretty. And I'm not even going to pray it on you. I'm going to pray over you because I can handle the complaints. But if it's divisive and toxic, and let's say you have a family member or spouse that's complaining, you cover them. You love them and let Jesus do what Jesus does best. That's a big test for some of you. He says, I got an idea. Take the leaders to the tent. Take them to your spot. And I'm going to come down in a cloud and I'm going to put the spirit that's on me on, on them. And they're going to have an encounter. And when they have an encounter, they're going to carry the burden because they're going to be so wrecked, so rocked, so infatuated with my love, so completely blown away by who I am that all the complaining won't matter anymore. Now they won't be infected by the complaining because they've been so touched by God. The more I focus on the issues or the world or the mixed multitude and the problems, the more I want to quit and give up. And I find my soul just saying, I can't take it anymore. But the more that I get touched by God, he gives you the grace, the strength, and he quickens you with power and experiences. And he touches you and he ruins you and he rocks you. And he says, man, because every time God touches you, you get more of his love. You get more of his eyesight and his vision. And now the complaining doesn't affect you anymore. You can love people even better. And now you actually start praying for them instead of cursing them. And instead of saying, God, burn them up, you say, God, save them. This is the heart of the father. Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, not one righteous person, horrible sins, horrible, detestable pedophilia to children, horrible things happening. And God says, I'm wiping them out. And Moses says, please, or Abraham says, please, God, if there's one righteous, save them. That's the heart of the father. And then there's always L dads and me dads. These are people at other churches and ministries or maybe people that aren't lined up with me in this church, but somehow God still loves them and shows his affection through them. And they're still prophesying. And Jesus said, if they're not against you, they're for you. And I'm like, you love them no matter what, because not everybody's going to be united in this house, but they're still part of his tribe. And I don't like it. Even remember when some, there were people that weren't walking with Jesus and the disciples that were casting out demons and the disciples were like, let's call fire down on them. Let's forbid them. Because they're not doing it my way. And you know what Jesus said? He said, I, I think it's fascinating that they were casting out demons. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that, look, 
I love other churches and I love other ministries, but we're not going to be any of them. We're going to be Rock City Church. And we're going to do it the way God shows us. And we may get messy and it may make mis- we may make mistakes. And I'll give you plenty of reasons to get to complain. And I'll give you plenty of reasons to try to question something. And I'll do my very best to make everything doctrinal. But you know what? When ax heads start floating and people start levitating and clouds start appearing, all which is in the Bible, you're not going to have any grid for those things because it rocks your world. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I care about you. I care about this family special to me. I love this church. You're my baby. Understand? I'm the pastor and the father and the leader of this house. And I will love you and care for you and we will be united. You're not gonna be uniform to me. You'll be united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. Not everybody's gonna agree. Not everybody's gonna like it. Not everybody's gonna see it our way. People go prophesy elsewhere, come in and out of here. Let God be God and do what God does. Don't be toxic, stop complaining and get the mixed multitude out of your heart. Disconnect from the world. I'm telling you right now, disconnect. Eat the bread and don't see it worthless. Every day, light the fire of incense, the candlestick, and make fresh bread. Get Live in the inner court and come out from there. Stop having coming out from Egypt to the cross and your baptism every time. Live in the inner court. Come out from there. Let God show you in there. Oh, man, I still have jacked up issues. I got to step out of the tent for a minute and get back to the brazen altar. You never stop going to the cross, ever. I'm always going to the cross. But now, instead of coming out of Egypt... I'm coming out of the inner court. That's a whole nother message. Maybe next week. And and look, just don't take the bait. Don't take the bait of the mixed multitude. You hear me? Don't take the bait. All right. What are we going to do now? No, I'm kidding. close your eyes for a moment. I just see manna dropping everywhere in this place. Flaky coriander, pearly white, Honey, oil. Please, God, forgive us for complaining. Please, Lord, we don't want to die in the wilderness. Just if you've been complaining in your heart, just tell them you're sorry. Repentance is the key. Oh, man, God's so good.
We need encounters with your presence, God. We need encounters with your presence. Lord, I pray for everyone here who has complained and allowed the mixed multitude of the world to come into their hearts, dissatisfaction, despising the worthless bread. Lord, I pray for mercy on everyone here. Just receive the mercy of God. You don't have to be in shame. You don't have to cut yourself. Just step back into the presence today. Just tell them, I'm going to step back in, Lord. I'm going to step back into your presence. Every day, God. Every minute of every day, Lord. That extreme, Lord, we're so desperate for you, God. We're so desperate. Sorry, Lord. Sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Please, God, have mercy. Lord, I'm sorry for wanting to give up complaining against you. I'm sorry, Lord, for despising your promises, your goodness, what you've given to me. I'm sorry for not being content. Dry up my soul, Lord, and then water it again. Let's pray that. Say, dry up my soul, Lord, and fill it again with true life, true bread, and living water. Every old way. Say it with me. Every old way. Every old thing. Every lie. Dry it up. And I thank you for feeding us and caring for us, Lord. And I pray such a hunger and thirst into the hearts of everyone here and those watching online. Ruin us, Lord. Please, God. Whatever it looks like, Lord. Please, Lord. When the Lord rescued us from captivity, we were like those who dreamed. We want to dream again, Lord. We want to dream again, God. And that's my prayer for everybody here, that they wouldn't fall prey to the lies of intellectual Christianity, but that they would give themselves to encounters and experiences in the Word of God, worship, intimacy, and prayer every day. I love you so much, God. I love everybody here, Lord. I love this house so much, Lord. Please, God, have your way here. 
have your way with our children. In Jesus' name, amen.